Psalm 1 is where we're reading. It says, how blessed, Psalm 1, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Psalm 1, verse 1. Nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, in the Lord's law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That means they're going to fall in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way, notice the way is how you live, decisions you make, your worldview, your trust or not trusting in the Lord. In this case, the way of the wicked will perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. They'll have everlasting life. Now, the book to your right, after you get past the Psalms, is the Proverbs. It's uh, wisdom for daily living. Proverbs 19 is the next verse I want to show you just at the outset of this sermon. Proverbs 19, if you look at verse 20 with me, Proverbs 19, 20, it addresses this issue of counsel and it says these words, Proverbs 19, 20 says, listen to counsel and accept discipline. These are action words for those who are reading God's word, those who are listening to God's truth. We are to listen to counsel and accept discipline. David was being disciplined by God as we read through 2 Samuel. When you listen to counsel and accept discipline, that you, or you could say, then you will be wise the rest of your days. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. Would you turn to 2 Samuel? Our main text this morning as we continue to look at the life of David and thinking about counsel and wisdom, you guys have all heard probably the saying before that hindsight is twenty twenty. What that simply means is that when something's happened, it's easy to look back on something and say, Woulda, shoulda, coulda, right? We should have done this. We should have done that. But the wisdom of hindsight in many ways has very little practical value. <laughs> Here's why. It's after the fact. It's after you lost. It's after something bad has happened. It's after 17 people are dead in Parkland, Florida. Now, the wisdom of the Bible is both hindsight and foresight. Let me explain. The Bible's instruction, and this is, pertains specifically to Old Testament stories, was written for our instruction that we would not repeat the silly mistakes that Israel made as a nation. So it does apply to our nation and to individuals within the nation. When we read these stories, we're not supposed to read them just simply as someone sitting in the stands as a casual observer, we're supposed to read them with the intention of where do we fit in that story and what do we need to amend or learn so we don't do the same stupid thing. Amen? Now, the Bible also has the wisdom of foresight. 
Here's an example. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 25, he's teaching about the end days, the last days. He says, behold, I've told you in advance. He says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The Bible has the wisdom of foresight as well. Here's what you want to get to, a point you want to get to in your life is to not make the mistake in the first place. To be able to have the wisdom of foresight and say, if I walk down that street again, since every time I walk down that street, I hit the same dead end sign at the end, and I've got the big goose eggs to prove it, don't walk down that street anymore. This time it's going to be different. You ever been at the beginning of the street? You've been down it 99 times. On the hundredth time, I declare... Right? But it's the same dead end. The wisdom of foresight says, look down the road, see where that's going to lead you, and don't go there if it's going to be bad, negative, hurt you, your family, your testimony. The Bible is full of God's wisdom, but we are supposed to listen and accept it. Now, David was being disciplined by God, and two men were extremely mad at David, and they had been harboring the bitterness. Absalom was mad at his dad because he seemed to do nothing when something bad happened to his sister. Ahithophel was mad at David because he was Bathsheba's grandpa, and he was mad at what David had done to his family. The two men were harboring bitterness for years, and that bitterness became a root, and it started to spring up, and it was defiling many people. David deserved some anger from these men. Both of them had legitimate anger against David, but both of them had to realize that God was going to discipline David. And when we realize that God is big enough to deal with situations, we can leave some people in some situations to God. Now, I'm not saying we don't hold people accountable. I'm not saying there's not legal recourse for situations when things go wrong. I'm not saying any of that. I'm talking about us personally. And oftentimes it's with other Christians or family members. We have to be able to leave room for God's discipline. And Paul says in Romans 12, 19, even for God's wrath. Somebody has said, Revenge is a dish best served cold. And a lot of people who walk around with revenge on their heart end up eating themselves up. And I, I listened to Ravi Zacharias this morning, and he was saying, you know, he goes, sometimes it, it feels like it's worse when, when you have hate come your way and you have something terrible happen to you. It seems worse to be the person that has the hate to begin with. And so this is the dynamics in a fallen world that we live in and the lessons we have to learn. And Absalom had led a rebellion against David, his dad, and Ahithophel, David's trusted counselor, had jumped ship. He was now with Absalom. He had given Absalom advice that Absalom should take David's harem, and he did that in broad daylight. And this has already occurred. <clears throat> And we have now chapter 17 opening with furthermore. Ahithophel said to Absalom, he's become Absalom's main counselor. 
He says, please let me choose 12,000 men. That's an interesting number. That I may, or and I will, New King James ESV, arise and pursue David tonight. What should we do was Absalom's question. What's next? Well, first, Ahithophel said, go and take your dad's harem because then people will know you're serious and it will be your claim to the throne. And now I have further advice for you. Let me, look at verse one, 2 Samuel 17, let me choose 12,000 men that I may or I will arise and pursue David tonight. Let's get this over with tonight. Absalom's name literally means a brother or the brother of folly. His advice was sad and tragic. The word for fool in Hebrew is sakal. It speaks of someone who is naive. In the Hebrew picture language, it speaks of him who supports everything because he stands for nothing. Absalom was a fool. He was naive. He asked people for counsel, but you're going to see that Absalom was the type of individual that blew with the wind. He would get one piece of advice, that sounded good until somebody else said something. And we have a world today and people who come in and out of the church that don't know where to hang their hat. They don't know whose advice to take. One minute they say, man, I want to be a Christian. That sounds pretty good. The next minute they have a group of friends telling them something else and they blow like the wind. And they are a person that James expresses are unstable in all their ways, James chapter one, because they haven't decided who they're going to follow. And there's a hymn that we sing in the church, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Now, I know if we're all going to be honest this morning, we would say there's been times when I felt like turning back. There's been times when it seems like running in the opposite direction was much easier than being a Christian and standing my ground and denying my flesh and all of that stuff. But God's way is always the right way because the counsel of the Lord, it stands forever. So Ahithophel said to Absalom, look, I'm gonna do this. Let me take 12,000 men. Let me deal with your dad tonight. When Judas betrayed Jesus, John 13, 30, it says, and it was night. Judas went out and it was night. Notice Ahithophel continues. I will come upon him while he is weary and exhausted. He's speaking of what he wants to do to David. Will terrify him so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I will strike down the king alone. You think Ahithophel has a little grudge against David? I will bring back all the people to you. The return of everyone depends on the man you seek. Then all the people should be at peace. So the plan pleased Absalom and all of the elders. If you take a peek at verses one through five, you'll see five I will statements from Ahithophel. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, I'll strike the king down, I'll bring the people back. And by the way, young King Absalom, king is in quotes, everything that happens next depends on the decision you make now, who you're going to choose right now. Now, if you're Absalom, would you take a little gulp at this point? <laughs> wow. Quite a speech, Ahithophel. Do you know that what Ahithophel said was true? Everything that happened next 
was going to depend on whose counsel Absalom would take. If Absalom would have paused right here and said, you know what, wait a minute, hold on. We haven't prayed. We haven't sought the word of God. We haven't sought wisdom from above. This could have been different. But there was none of that. It was all human wisdom. And so he says, I will, I will, I will. Now, some of you, as you look at this, something's ringing in your head because you may remember that someone else made five I will statements in Scripture, and his name is Lucifer. It's recorded in the book of Isaiah. If you go to your right, it's Isaiah chapter 14. The immediate uh, address, Isaiah 14, is to the king of Babylon, but there's a secondary layer, if you will, of another being being addressed. His name is Satan. Satan is the one, as you turn to Isaiah 14, who had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray, betray Jesus. That's John 13, verse 2. And here's what it says about Satan. This is Isaiah 14, 11. Your pomp and the music of your harps have brought you down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. You're going to get a new blankie. It's called a maggot blankie, a worm blankie. Just think about that image for a second. It's an image of the grave. Uh, I'm trying to remember the teacher, but he, he was in India, I believe, on a missions trip, and he said he used to take a jog every morning. And uh, he would jog around whatever city he was ministering in, and he would pray and seek the Lord. And he said he was jogging, and there was a dead, I think it was a dead cow laying on the street, and maggots were eating away at it, doing whatever they do. And he said he paused, he was running, and he paused, and he looked at it, and he said, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, do you see those maggots there? That's a picture of your sin. And he went, oh. That's a hard image to get out of your head, but maybe it's a good image. Maybe it will mean you'll eat one less pancake when this service is over. You can thank me later for that. Anyway, <laughs> notice what happens next. How you have fallen from heaven, Isaiah 14, 12. Oh, star of the morning, literally Lucifer, New King James, shining one. Remember, Lucifer was a shining angel in the presence of God, son of the dawn, You've been cut down to earth, you've, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you, they will ponder over you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow prisoners or captives to go home? I will. I will. Ahithophel made this speech, if you go back to 2 Samuel 17, to Absalom. I'll do this. I will. I will. But the counsel of the Lord... <laughs> Stands forever. And who did God choose to be the king of Israel despite his flaws and weaknesses? His name? David. 
the man after God's own heart. God made a covenant with David. We talked about it earlier in the book. The Davidic covenant. David was God's selection. By the way, newsflash, God does not choose perfect people because there ain't none. (laughs) Amen? I'm not excusing David's sin, but David was God's man despite his flaws. So Ahithophel gave this advice. It sounded pretty good. Absalom liked it. The elders gave a thumbs up. And then Absalom said, verse 5, 2 Samuel 17, now, now call Hushai the archite also and let, it, let us hear what he has to say. Now Hushai, remember, was David's friend. We saw this last week. He was loyal to David. He had gone back into the city to be David's eyes and ears, part, part of the spy network that we'll talk about. And Hushai acted like he was with Absalom, but he was with David. You, if you were with us last week, you remember how it was kind of the double speak. He, it sounded like it was about Absalom, but he was really loyal to David. And so Hushai was waiting in the wings. Apparently, he wasn't in the room when this counsel was given by Ahithophel. And so Absalom wanted a second opinion. So he says, call in Hushai the archite. Is it good to get a second opinion in life? Yes. But sometimes you have to ask the reason why you're trying to get a second opinion. If you have a medical situation, it's really good to get a second opinion. If you have a good friend of yours in the Lord who tells you the truth and you just don't like it, so you're going to get second and third and fourth opinions until someone tells you what you want to hear, that's not good. The Bible does teach safety in a multitude of counselors, but who you choose to be in that multitude of counselors is extremely important. And then you have to ask an additional question. What's the motive for their counsel? Ahithophel's motive was David's destruction. Ahithophel did not care about Absalom. I'm reading between the lines, but this is my own personal view. I don't think he cared a shred about Absalom. I think he cared about his own agenda. Watch out. If you get people in your life who give you counsel, but really they're looking right past you to their own personal agenda. In fact, they wouldn't mind stepping on your head if it gets them up another rung of the ladder. I'd be really careful who is in your network or your circle of trust. Now, David had prayed in uh, 1531 of our book, O Lord, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And Hushai would become the vehicle by which this would happen. Absalom probably shouldn't have asked for any more counsel, but he did ask Hushai. Maybe Ahithophel left the room and Hushai had come to Absalom And Absalom said to him, Ahithophel has spoken thus. So he told him Ahithophel's plan. We saw those in the first four verses, that plan. He said, shall we carry out this plan, his plan? If not, you speak. So here's what he said. He said he's going to do this, he's going to do that, he's going to do this. He wants to attack David tonight. What do you say? And I'm sure everybody in the room bent in a little bit. What's Hushai going to say now? Psalm 33, 10 through 12 says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. That's Psalm 33, 
10 through 12. This is Proverbs 16, 9 and 10. It says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. A divine decision is in the lips of the king. His mouth should not err in judgment. Proverbs 16, 9 and 10. So Hushai said to Absalom, this time the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good. Now if you look at the end of chapter 16, it says that the advice Ahithophel of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one required, inquired of the word of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. When Ahithophel spoke, people listened. He was the man. He had an incredible knack for giving sound, wise advice. But Hushai says, this time, Ahithophel, what he said is not good. Now, he couldn't say, Ahithophel's out to lunch, man. This guy's off his rocker. (laughs) No. But he just said this time. You know, everybody gets it wrong every now and then. Now, what's Hushai trying to do? He's trying to thwart the counsel of Ahithophel to give David, the one he loves, more time. David just got over the hill and the people are now moving toward the Jordan River and he said, I'm gonna wait in the fords until you give me word about what's going on. And so behind Hushai is this deep desire to protect the king. He says, moreover, verse eight, Hushai said, you, this is emphatic in the Hebrew, you know your father and his men. He's kind of buttering him up or appealing to his pride. He says that they are mighty men They are fierce like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Your father is an expert in warfare and will not spend the night with the people. Now, what's he trying to do? He's trying to undermine Ahithophel's advice. Your dad and the troops are weak and wary. You know, Ahithophel was right. They were. They were poured out. They were vulnerable. But Hushai started to plant some seeds of doubt. And he said, he used a powerful image. He said, your dad and his men, you know your dad. Man, They're mighty and fierce men. They're mighty warriors like a mama bear robbed of her cubs. Now, if you've ever seen a mama bear robbed of her cubs, you don't want to mess with mama bear. And we got some mama bears in the church today. And if you mess with their cubs, look out. It ain't going to be pretty. Now, if you're Absalom, your eyes are getting a little bigger. That's right. In fact, my dad told me stories when we were eating Cheerios in the morning. He said, and this is what he said to Saul, there was a couple times when a lion came and tried to steal away the sheep or a bear, and I grabbed him by his beard. I'm being serious now. And I dealt with the beard and the lion. And Absalom had to be thinking, lions and tigers and bears? Thank you. My lead of this sermon was going to go back to The Wizard of Oz, that great theological movie, when the question is asked of the scarecrow, how is it that you talk if you have no brain? He goes, well, there's an awful lot of people talking these days that have no brains. (laughs) Anyway, but I, I didn't think that would be a great opening line, so... Behold, he is now, your dad, tactically brilliant. Everybody's come against your dad. You know what happens to them. He's probably hidden himself in one of the caves. You can talk to Saul about that when 
uh, if, if you get to see Saul, right? Or in another place, and it will be when he falls on them at the first attack that whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. He's like a, he's like a mama bear robbed of her cubs. And by the way, your dad knows how to stay in caves with his men and he'll ambush one of your, one of your teams. And when he ambushes them, word will get to the rest of your troops and everybody will lose heart because they'll say it's impossible to take on David. 10. And even the one who is valiant, whose heart is like a heart of a lion, will completely lose heart. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Your dad took down Goliath. Your dad was able to deal with Saul against incredible odds. This is not good. And he provides an alternative plan. But I counsel that all Israel be surely gathered to you. Picture this, Absalom. All of Israel will come to you from Dan, the farthest northern border, to Beersheba in the south. The whole nation, they'll come to you like the sand that is by the sea in abundance. That's the promise given to Abraham. Your descendants will be as the sand of the seashore. And then you can personally lead the army in battle. You see Absalom picturing it now. All the people, not just 12,000 with Ahithophel leading them. All the people come to me. My favorite subject, me, myself, and I, as he combed his long hair. <laughs> Pick some broccoli out of his teeth. Boy, this is sounding better and better. I'll lead the army. Yeah, you can personally go into battle. All the people will come to you. So we shall come to him in one of the places. After all this happens, we'll find him. We'll find your dad. We'll fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, Twelve. And of him and of the men who are with him, not even one of them will be left. Ahithophel's plan is just to take your dad out. We'll take everybody out. And if he withdraws into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city. We will drag it into the valley until not even a small stone is found there. We'll completely destroy everything and you'll be leading the army with the torch, Absalom, shining your face, your beautiful face. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. You know, my dad and his guys, they are bad dudes. We need more reinforcements. And me leading the army sounds much better than Ahithophel. And so he said, the counsel's good. I don't know if Ahithophel was in the room in the corner going, rats, double rats. Our feet was taken out of the room. But look at verse 14, middle of the verse. This is the key. For the Lord, that's Yahweh, had ordained or determined to thwart the counsel of Ahithophel in order that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. When Absalom said yes to Hushai's plan, he was sealing his own death warrant. But who was behind it? The Lord the Lord was the one who used Hushai to thwart Ahithophel's plan. And if Absalom would have followed Ahithophel's plan, it probably would have worked. But the Lord wouldn't allow it because God had uh, ordained David to be the king. And Ahithophel blew with the wind of advice. God, the master planner, answered David's prayer, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. If you look at Ahithophel's plan, it sounds good. It sounds right. Let's do it now. Let's 
zero in on just David and take him out. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with the head and everybody else will feel weakened. But God used this vehicle of Hushai. God uses people to accomplish his plan. And then Hushai said to Zadok, to Abiathar, these are the priests that went back with the ark. David said, take the ark back. They were also on David's side. And he got word to them. He said, this is what Ahithophel counseled Absalom and the elders of Israel. This is what I have counseled. Now he gave them a quick summation. These guys were on David's side. He said, look, this is how the meeting went. Ahithophel said this, I said this, but I don't know about this boy. If he may change his mind, he tends to blow with the wind. In fact, his hair was blowing a little bit as he was sitting there listening to us. Right? I don't know what's going to happen. So he got word to the priest. And the priest, he says, Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend the night at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be destroyed. Get word to David. Now Jonathan and Ahamaz, they were the sons of the priests, were staying at En-Rogel. And a maidservant would go and tell them. She was in the, the palace there, and she was part of the spy network that David had set up. They would go and tell King David, for they could not be seen entering the city. So Jonathan and Amhamaz were at Enrogel. They were near a well. It's called the Fountain of the Traveler, or it could mean the Well of the Spy, Enrogel. So they were positioned there, and this servant girl, probably under the pretense of going to get water at the well, would hear from the priest on David's side, from Hushai, then the priest. She got word. She would run off. The sons of the priest were by the well, and you say, this is what they said. And then, no, it would have been much easier if you could text in those days, right? All that we could text. But they didn't have that. So they had to use messengers. So here's what happened. The maidservant would go and she would tell. But a lad did see them, 18, and told Absalom, saw the, the two sons of the priest. So the two of them departed quickly and came to the house of a man in Baharim who had a well in his courtyard and they went down into it. So here's a quick summation. The whole story and all the details are not told, but some young man saw the, the priest's sons there and went, why are they there outside the city ducking behind that well? <laughs> it looks a little suspicious. He snapped a couple of photographs, right? He got word and they went, uh-oh, we've been exposed. We've been found out. So they went running off and they went to this area called Baharim and they found a sympathizer of David. He had a well in his courtyard and they went down into the well. This uh, image here is a picture of a well. And they went down there to hide in it. Psalm 32, 7 says, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. And the woman, the woman of the house there where they hid, took a covering and spread it over the well's mouth, scattered grain on it. It just uh, looked like a place to dry grain in the sun so that nothing was known. Now, can you imagine, you're these two guys, you're part of David's critical spy network. If you get found out, the whole thing is in shambles. Can you imagine being down in that well, <laughs> trying to be as quiet, feel a sneeze coming on? <laughs> right? I mean, there's pressure. 
And Absalom's servants came to the woman. So now search parties go out. They've, the locals probably said, hey, we saw them go into the courtyard. They came to the woman. The man of the house was gone or maybe left to make things look normal and said, where are Ahamaz and Jonathan? Now, if you're the woman, what's the correct answer to that question? They're in the well right there underneath the, the seeds that are drying there. Just lift that up. You'll see them there, right? The woman said to them, they have crossed the brook of water. And when they searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. Where are these two young men? Tell us now. And the woman said, oh, they went that away. <laughs> Is it right to be deceptive in certain circumstances? Well, I'll give you an example. In Nazi Germany, when people, Nazis knocked on the door and said, are you hiding any Jews here? The proper answer is no. There's a higher good, a higher law. In the book of Exodus, same thing. They, they deceive the Pharaoh because they don't want the male babies to be killed. So there's the higher law. Now don't use this as an excuse to be deceptive in your life. Just to be, This is not what it's talking about. It's talking about there was a higher good to protect God's king. And so she said they went that away. And there's nothing in here that says she did something wrong. It was a positive thing to throw them off the trail. And so they searched around and they couldn't find them. And so, uh, what verse did I leave off at? And it came about, 21, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well. The coast was clear. They went and told King David, and they said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus Ahithophel has counseled against you. They got to David, very abridged story, very uh, narrowly focused. And David and all the people who were with him arose. They crossed the Jordan, and by dawn not even one, of, one remained who had not crossed the Jordan. And so in the darkness... And the rushing water of the Jordan River, they crossed over into safety. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey. He arose and went to his home, to his city. It's the city of Gilo. You can write 1512, 2 Samuel 15:12. He set his house in order and he strangled himself. And thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. Sadly, when Ahithophel, the brother of fools, heard that Absalom did not follow his counsel right away, he went and committed suicide. The Bible has uh, several cases like this where someone committed suicide. And it is a very sad and tragic thing when someone decides to do this. And we don't, you know, when we hear stories like this, Robin Williams is one that comes to mind and uh, it's in the recent past. It's just a very sad thing. And it's hard for us to know all the angles and all the things that are going on there. But Ahithophel, who was a wise man, and you might assume even a godly man, at least at one point, he thought the only way out is to kill himself because he figured if David got back into the throne, he was in deep trouble anyway. And there are striking parallels between Ahithophel and another man who betrayed the greater David a thousand years later. And his name 
was Judas. And the same psalm, Psalm 41.9, that's applied to Ahithophel is also applied to Judas a thousand years later. And Judas tried to give the money back. Look, Ahithophel's reasons may have been more noble. Ahithophel was trying to get David back for something he had done wrong. What was Judas's motive? It seems to be money. He stole out of the money box, we're told in the Gospel of John. He did get money for giving the information. But then he took the money and what? And threw it down and said, I betrayed innocent blood. The money meant nothing to him. Can I say to you, material things are all going to decay. What's most important about you is your soul. What will it profit you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus said that. Ahithophel, on a silly mission of revenge, came to a bitter end. And David came to Mahanaim, 24. And Absalom crossed the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. Now, whose plan is Absalom now following? Hushai's. He's leading a group of men I don't know what the timing is here. He crosses the Jordan where David went and he's gonna go and try to settle up with his dad. Can you imagine if Absalom pulled a sword and he and his dad had to square off? We have fighting within a family. Do you know the commander we're about to read about ends up being David's nephew? We have David's son trying to steal his throne. David's nephew leading Absalom's army who happens to be a cousin of Joab. Joab is the commander of of David's army. This is fighting within a family. I know it's shocking to you all because I know none of your families probably ever have any problems getting along. But you know, when you peel back the veil here, it's sad. These are family members trying to kill one another. And Absalom comes Pursuing David, and he comes to a place called Mahanaim. I want you to just note, and we're going to end our time together, that Mahanaim is a very important place in Genesis 32. We'll come back to that. Absalom set Amasa, that's David's nephew, Joab's cousin, 25, over the army in place of Joab. Now, Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Ithra, the Israelite, who went Uh, into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zuriah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. Now when David had come to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah, of the sons of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Godzilla, I'm sorry, (laughs) that's a very bad joke, I'm so sorry. And Barzillai, that's a type of pasta, no, it's not. Anyway, the Gileadite from Rogelum, that helps your hair grow right there. (laughs) Oh, that's bad. Brought beds, basins, pottery, wheat, flour, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curds, sheep, cheese of the herd for David and for the people who were with him to eat, for they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, Psalm 23, 5. Can you imagine how, I mean, there were still people supporting David, and it was awesome. Now, I want you to turn to Genesis 32, 
and we're done. Genesis 32. So there was a man earlier in the life of Israel whose name was Jacob. His name means conniver or supplanter or heel catcher. He'd been wrestling with God and man his whole life. He stole his brother's birthright and blessing, manipulated his way, but then he ran into a man who was his match. It was his uncle Laban. And he saw himself and his uncle Laban, and he had to serve his uncle Laban for 20 years, and his uncle switched brides on him one night. That's very inconvenient, right? Just a lot of things went on. Finally, he was able to break the chains of his uncle, and he moved on. And he got word that Esau, his brother, that he had done wrong 20 years earlier, was on the move. And he was trying to give terms of peace to Esau, but the last discussion was Esau's going to revenge himself, avenge himself on you. He's not going to rest until you're dead. And he sent some gifts ahead, and he got word from one of his messengers that Esau is coming, and 400 men are with him. And Jacob had his wives and his children and his animals, and he had come to this location of Mahanaim. Look at Genesis 32.1. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Now, Mahanaim literally means two camps. It seems that it was a camp of angels and Jacob. Just like the Lord was helped by angels in Mark 1.13 and Luke 22, an angel strengthened him in his temptation, so Jacob has these angels with him. And he was distressed. And finally, he pushed everybody to the other side of the brook, and he prayed to God. He said, please protect me and my family from Esau. And he, he split the camps so that If they won after one, then maybe the other would survive. And he was having a restless night and he couldn't sleep. And he was in the camp all alone. And all of a sudden, somebody showed up and grabbed his shoulder. And he went, wow! Can you imagine? You can't sleep and someone grabs you. And it says that a man showed up in the camp and they began some Old Testament MMA. All right? How many of you watch MMA? I... I don't necessarily enjoy it because they try to just choke people out. But I understand, I've seen it a few times, I understand that the point of MMA is to get your opponent into a position of submission. Amen? Is that correct? And so Jacob began grappling with this mystery visitor. And up and down and down and up. And Jacob was tough. And at some point during the grappling, the mystery visitor touched Jacob in the thigh. Zoop! Ah! (laughs) And he never walked the same again. And the man, in quotes, said to Jacob, let me go. The the dawn of day is going to break. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And there's a commentary on this from Hosea 12 that says he was crying and pleading with the mystery visitor. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Because Jacob was between a rock and a hard place. And he literally wrestled with God. Can I ask you, 
Are you wrestling with God? And I think the mystery visitor says something like this. You've been wrestling with people your whole life. With your brother, with your mom, with your dad, with your uncle. Okay, ding, ding, time to wrestle with me. Because you've been doing that too. Let's see how it works out. And dust flew and sweat. I don't even know how long it went on. And finally, zoop, Jacob was zapped. And he never walked the same again. But he said, I'm not letting go. Because do you know what Jacob was facing? The trial of his life. He, he didn't know if he was going to survive the night. Esau was coming with 400 men. He imagined the worst. And God showed up with a camp of angels. And he renamed Jacob that night. Look at verse 28 of Genesis 32. He said, 26, he says, I'm not letting go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, I want to say to you that Jacob actually prevailed by losing. He didn't win the fight. <laughs> he got his hip out of joint. This mystery visitor could have done away with him in a microsecond. In fact, Jacob knew that he was wrestling with God. And that night, he was renamed into Israel. Now, with all the talk about what Israel means, governed by God, you've probably heard before, the name Israel, according to James Montgomery Boyce, and I think he's on really good ground here, and he's now with the Lord, believes the name Israel means God prevails. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Where's David in Mahanaim? What do you think David's doing right now? Probably wrestling with God. You said someone's gonna sit on the throne. You, you said this. Here comes Absalom. Here, my son's coming against me. What's gonna happen? And look, you may have had some restless nights lately. And maybe you've been questioning the promises of God. And maybe you've been asking, Lord, I don't know if you're gonna be true to your word. Can I say to you? Just get on board with God's will because his will will prevail. Father, we come before you right now. We're just so grateful for your word. So many practical lessons in it. The characters that we often laud as so weighty and they seem so high above us. We're so human. It gives us all so much hope because we've all made our mistakes and sometimes we look at our own hearts and we wonder where we're at with you and we could have been a Christian for decades and sometimes we wonder if we're really walking in the promises and working out what you've worked in our lives. But I pray your grace would sprinkle over this group of precious saints this morning. I pray that you'd give them hope through these stories of success and failure. I pray you'd give us wisdom. You told us you would give us the Holy Spirit as our counselor. You told us that you would never leave us or forsake us. You said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Lord, there's a lot of things that come our way. And there's people who hurt us and situations that disappoint us. And sometimes the, our biggest disappointments is when we look in the mirror and see the person looking back at us. 
But I, I pray that you would show us your grace through the story of David. But you'd give us also wisdom, the wisdom of foresight and hindsight to walk out your will. And we have so much incredible truth we have access to in your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I want to ask you just right now, if you keep your head and heart bowed, do you have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ? Have you asked him to be your Lord and Savior? He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you eternal life. It's a gift. You can't earn it. None of us deserve it, but he wants to give it. All you have to do is receive it. It's gonna be the most important decision of your life. Would you settle it this morning? Something like this. And just please keep your heart open to how the Spirit's moving. Something like this. Lord Jesus, pray it if it's you, come into my life. Thank you that you went to the cross for me. Thank you that you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and from following the wrong king and kingdom, and I want to follow the true king and kingdom. Teach me your ways, Lord. I want to be your child. Thank you for forgiveness that's found in Jesus. Cleanse me of my sin. Wash, wash it away, Lord, and make me new in you. If you're a prodigal and maybe you took, you've taken some bad counsel and it's cost you, you've made some poor decisions and there's been some consequences and maybe even some discipline from the Lord, be of good cheer. He only disciplines the ones that he loves and he loves you. So don't lose heart. Receive the training that this season will produce. It will yield if you allow the Lord to work and you respond and you'll be able to move forward. And I pray, Lord, that that would be the case for all those who that thought applies to. Thank you so much for loving us so incredibly, so unconditionally, so faithfully. We love you because you first loved us and we just wanna express our love to you in these closing moments. Just thank you so much. We ask all of this and we bless your name in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.